0: Have you ever gotten a really long text message uh, from someone? I imagine many of us have gotten long text messages, and it starts out with you know, hi, how are you doing, something like that. You know, the niceties. And what do you do when you get one of those? Yeah, you read the niceties, and then immediately you're looking for why did they send this really long text message, right? You're trying to get to the heart of it. Or if you read a news story, what do you do? You don't go to the, you don't scroll scroll down to the middle of the news article, do you? You go, you read the first paragraph, and any good journalist is going to give you the sum of the story in that first paragraph, right? They're taught that most people don't read into the body of an article, right? Because you've got to get the content up at the top of that article. Well, when it comes to letters, often the way that we do it now is the way they did it in the ancient world. You often start off with niceties. You introduce yourself, who you are. And then you kind of describe, you know, maybe your relationship, you know, express your love. And then you get to the heart, you get to the heart of the letter. It's almost like uh, opening a birthday card, right? Who reads the front of a birthday card, right? Maybe that's just me. I promise you, if it's you, I read it. But, I mean, like family members, I don't read that. I'm going for the heart of the card. All right, well, listen. In the ancient world, they would do the same thing. They would really put the content, that is, the heart of the letter... They're in, in the middle. That they would start the, the content, the value would start to thicken up as you get dig into a letter. And that's what we're going to see with Philippians. So it's not that it was the front of the letter is not valuable, or what he says doesn't mean anything, but at this point, what we've seen Paul do is declare who he is in relationship with this Jesus, which is in contrast to the king of the world Caesar, and then moves right into describing how that relationship with King Jesus, Affects everything, even their relationship. And then he describes their relationship together, right? That they are sharing in God's grace together. They're in partnership with the gospel. And then he has this prayer that their love may abound more and more. Okay. Well, now we're going to move into a section of the letter that, gets, that, that, that grabs or is infused with some, some more meat. Because Paul's now going to move from what we might think of as the niceties into exactly where he finds himself. And what we're going to see is that in this part of the letter, we're going to, Paul's going to reveal. He's going to reveal more of himself in this next section, which is going to have a lot to teach the Philippians, and it's going to have a lot to teach us right here in the 21st century. So we're going to dig now. We're going to now move into this deeper water in the next section of the letter to the Philippians. So we're going to pick up with verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, where we start to see some of the meat coming out in the letter. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. All right, here here we have, as we jump deeper in the letter, is Paul describing what I'm going to call his current realities. And I want to chart what's happening here. So we're going to have a chart that just comes up over and over again uh, in this message. I want to chart what's happening. So let's go with this first uh, part of the chart. Here we see Paul describing his current realities, and right off the bat, we see that he's in prison. So he's in a Roman prison, and it seems as if he's in that prison because he has been preaching Christ. He's been preaching this other king. He's been saying, Jesus, not Caesar, is king of the world. And it's also been stirring up some trouble in the places he, he has showed up bringing that message. And at this point, he is in prison. Now, in what city, there's a lot of debate. Most scholars now think he was in Ephesus. He's at a, in a Roman prison in Ephesus. But even if we don't know the exact location, we know he is in prison and he is in chains. Now, it doesn't mean that he can't, he has no, no, it doesn't mean he is immobile, that he can't move. Uh, There are times in the day he can move. And it doesn't mean that he can't have supplies, like writing supplies, or have friends. But anything he's going to get is going to come by way of the outside from people who love him. And so if he's going to eat, if he's going to have writing supplies, if he's going to have any encouragement, it's going to be having people visit him. And that's what's happening, we know that. And we'll see that later in the letter. There are people that are actually visiting him at this point. And so at this point, he's, he's now able to write a letter. But make no mistake, he's in prison. There's no air condition. There's no central heating. There's not even indoor plumbing. This is not a good place to be. This is a Roman prison, and many people that go in do not come out, or they come out and, they're, and they, they uh, reach the end of their life quickly. They may be put into some type of gladiatorial games of some sort. But prison was not a place you want to be in the Roman world. But Paul finds himself there. And while he's in prison, he looks around and he sees good things happening. Isn't that something? You see, even though Paul is in chains, he knows that the gospel is not in chains. Although the Roman soldiers have to take care of him, that's their job, guess who can't leave him? The Roman soldiers. And although he can't leave, they can't leave. And so he has a captive audience all the time with the Roman soldiers who have to watch him. And so Paul says, wow, this is good news. Because although I am chained, the gospel is not chained. And not, so, not even in the palace guard, not even among the Roman soldiers is it Changed. He knows that there are those in the city he's in as well as the Philippians that are hearing about this good news of the gospel spreading even in the prison cells, that they then are more confident to go take the message out themselves. So his example is emboldening other Christians to go take the gospel. Oh my. So he looks and he looks at his prison cell and he says, ah, look at all the good things God is doing. That's his current reality and yet he sees goodness. Now, how in the world do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where you're in prison, in a Roman prison, and you look and say, and look at all the good things God's doing? How do you get to the point where you see good and so much bad? Well, I think that you get to that point by having Certain things lodged in your body that are, have taken root and now are producing fruit. And I think one thing you can do that can, that can produce fruit, if you lodge it inside of you, is that you can put the words of Jesus inside of you. And I think Paul had for a long time been putting the oral traditions of Jesus inside of him. Eventually those oral traditions you know are going to be written down. They're going to be called the Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. At this point, Paul is not un, un, uh, you know, opening a scroll of the gospel according to Mark and you know cherry-picking verses. He's carrying with him the oral traditions of Jesus' teachings. And we know in Paul's own life that he had time with Jesus away from any crowd where he learned from Jesus. Somehow, we don't know exactly how that happened, but it was part of his training where the Holy Spirit was moving in his silence and moving in his, uh, in his isolation after his conversion, where Jesus was teaching him things. And we don't know how that worked. But we do know that he was able to carry and grab onto the oral traditions of Jesus and as well as Jesus himself. And so he planted inside of himself, pressed deep, these teachings of Jesus. And so I'm just wondering: as Paul sits in his prison cell and he looks around at all uh, all of his current realities, he is pulling and grabbing and letting grow these teachings of Jesus. And so we can just guess at maybe what some of those might have been. Some of these things where Jesus would have talked about being shackled, but the message going out because the Holy Spirit will make sure you have something to say. I think he remembered that these are the kind of things Jesus said. I'm going to take a stab at one thing he may have been grabbing on as he's sitting in that prison cell thinking of Jesus and his current realities. Mark 13, remember this is what Jesus said? Mark thirteen nine through 11, you must be on your guard. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. You will be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues on account of me. You will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, while on earth, predicts that my students will be arrested, they'll be shackled, but my message will not be. And isn't that what we find Paul declaring right here? That although in chains, the gospel is not. And I imagine that the words of Jesus here have stirred inside of him so much. They've grown so deep. That when he finds himself in prison, these kind of things come back and he can rejoice that the gospel isn't in chains. And I think that's what's happening here, maybe. Maybe this is the scripture he's thinking of, I don't know. Now, the other part of this passage is not only is he in prison, like that, the current reality is not only is he in prison, but there's another thing going on. This one might even be more difficult for us in our day, but there's enemies, there's enemies. He knows that there are people somewhere in the city that are stirring up, stirring up trouble for him. Maybe they're going around saying something like, hey, do you know there's this guy that was just in in town stirring up all that trouble? He's saying that there's another emperor. He's saying there's another king of the world and that he was crucified but came back to life. Now, that's just ridiculous. And if we find any of those followers, we're going to throw them in prison too. And I imagine that was stirring up a lot of trouble because there was a lot of in and out of this prison system, you can imagine. Just in our day, it's not like people on the inside of a prison have no connection to the outside world. There's a lot of movement. And in the Roman world, when you start hearing about people causing trouble on the outside, it can make it more difficult for people on the inside. And somehow, these people on the outside were causing more trouble for Paul on the inside. But what he says is, I rejoice. Because even though they're proclaiming the message of Jesus, and most likely, sarcastically and mockingly, Paul says, but at least the message goes out. At least least Jesus the king is being proclaimed. And for that, I'm going to rejoice because God can use that. Now, where in the world do we get the idea, where did Paul pick up this idea that God's in the business of taking the worst that can be done and turning it to the best? Where in the world would Paul get that idea? Well, he would look at Jesus And he not only looked at Jesus, he looked at the fundamental story of Jesus, where the world did its worst and God did his best. And that's the kind of work God's in the business of doing. And so Paul knows the enemies may be out there trying to crucify me again, but I know the end of the story, that anyone crucified in the form of Jesus will be brought back to life. That means if you try to stir up trouble on the outside, don't you worry, God will turn it to good because he did it in the cross. And I imagine, he may have had, he may have had somewhere deep inside of him those words of Jesus, those teachings that he predicted when he predicted his death. Maybe this, maybe Mark 8, maybe this could have been one sitting inside of him deep. Mark 8, 31 through 32, this is where we read, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. Paul knew no matter how bad the world world gets, no matter how bad the enemies of the cross come against his children, he will do exactly what he did with Jesus. He will turn it for good. Resurrection wins with Jesus. And so he knows that even though they're stirring up trouble, he can rejoice because God's turning it to good. I imagine he got to that point because he carried that story deep inside of him. It was stamped at the center of every part of his life. Now, just his current realities aren't enough. He's in a Roman prison, and something's going to have to happen. So, something, something, some future reality will emerge, and that brings us to this next part where Paul then shares some of his struggles, his back and forth about what his future looks like. So he moves from current realities now to his future, as he picks up the next section of the letter, moves into it seamlessly. We pick up at the end of verse 18 and we just roll on through verse 26. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, Paul says. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, well, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. What a future that lays in front of him. Life or death? So go to the chart. We'll just take a look. This is what we're facing now. So Paul is facing future uncertainties. He's got life and death in front of him. And yet in both of them, he puts Jesus at the center no matter what. If he dies, it is Christ. If he lives, it is Christ. Jesus stamped right there at the center. And where in the world would he pick up that idea? As, as Paul faces the prospect of death, he's not worried. I think it's because Paul realized long before he wrote these words that his life was in Christ. I imagine that he had picked up those teachings of Jesus and applied them to every part of his life. That to be a student of Jesus, he had to pick up his cross Because when you lose your life, guess what? You gain it. This is a teaching straight from Jesus. It's one that eventually gets written down. Now, it is recorded in the Gospel of Mark. But because you at East 10th have heard the Gospel of Mark for a long time, I wanted you to know there are other Gospels in the New Testament. So we are going to now read from one of those Gospels. Here it is, Matthew 16, 24-25. through Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so Paul knew, if I die, I gain, because he had long ago lost his life so that he could gain it. So the prospect of death wasn't nearly as worrisome as it might be for someone who has never given up their life to Jesus. And when you get to the point where you have denied yourself, taken up your cross, where you have lost it so you can gain it, well, then you can become the kind of person that doesn't worry very much. You know, that's really what Jesus is driving for, for the kind of people that don't worry that much because they're pursuing the kingdom of God above everything else. Now, I'm not just making that up. I imagine this is another teaching lodged deep in Paul's mind. We know it was probably lodged in the minds of every disciple because this is one key part of Jesus' teaching that has lasted throughout the centuries, one that even non Christians often know. It's Matthew six thirty-one through 33, where Jesus says this So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. You get that kind of life when you take up your cross, lose your life so you can gain it. And when you do that, you get to the point where you don't have to worry. And this is exactly the kind of life Paul was living. So when he writes things like, I rejoice even though I might die, it's because he's learned to seek the kingdom of God first. And where where do you see the kingdom of God most on display? At the cross. That's right. Hence, Jesus saying, if you want to be my disciple, you pick up your cross. And what happens after the cross? Well, he is brought back to life, conquers death. And that means when you lose your life, you gain your life. I think all this is swirling in Paul. It's how he can get to the point where he can say, whether life or death, it is Christ. That's the kind of person I want to become. What a vision of how to deal with future uncertainties. So if I had to summarize all this, so if I had to take all that we've said in the last few minutes and just summarize it, I would say, I would say this. This is what I would say. Paul saw each piece of his life stamped with Jesus. And so no matter his current realities or future uncertainties, his life was defined by Christ and his cross. That's what I think we have in Paul. So if I had to summarize everything we've just said in the last few minutes, if I had to summarize it and I couldn't say it, I would see or show this. We're going to bring back Plato. Obviously, I had a talk, but you get it. Like I'm showing you something right here. So those of you who can't see what I'm doing, I have a piece of wood with Play-Doh just slabbed onto that piece of wood. And I think what we have here, again, is Paul whose life has been formed in the likeness of the cross, so that maybe we could visualize it this way. I'm taking an iron cross, and I'm pressing it into that Play-Doh. And I think that cross, which is solid, by the way, solid. This, this iron cross is not, it's not loose, not malleable. You're not moving this cross. Get hit with this cross, you're going to hurt. Okay? So don't tell me this sermon wasn't good. All right. Um, <laughs> That wasn't a threat. That was a joke, really. I promise you. I'm not, not up here making threats. Not yet. Um, so, uh, so we just. He, I think he had this cross pressed so deeply into his life that no matter what he faced, current, current realities, prison, enemies, or future uncertainties, life or death, he would carry his life stamped with the cross right into every piece of his current and future realities. I think this is the kind of life paul's living and when you have the cross pressed into your life you can face anything because now it's not just your life it's christ life or death enemies prison you carry christ stamped in the center of your life into everyday life and you walk with confidence and you become the kind of person that doesn't worry about what you wear or what you're going to eat or drink all will be well with christ there's a whole industry that's making billions and billions of dollars trying to tell us the right formula to become the kind of person that doesn't worry. You're only going to get it with Christ. He is the only person, and it's the only message in the world that turns bad things to good. There is no other message like it. You can good vibe people all day. You can good, give good people good thoughts all you want. It will not change anything. It is Jesus that changes bad things to good. And so it is necessary, if you want that kind of life, to have the cross stamped at the center. If not the cross, it will be something else. But Paul had the cross. Now, that's how I'd visualize it. This is is how I would show you what's going on in this section of Paul's letter, a cross form life, a life stamped with the cross. But Paul tells the Philippians this as a way of encouraging them in their life. You see, the Philippians also struggled. So we're going to read the next section. We're going to finish out chapter 1. And on the screen as we read that scripture, you'll notice on the, uh, the, the way that I've tried to, um, the, the way I've put the passage on the slide, we're going to underline a few things. I just want you to notice both the gospel and the suffering. I just want you to know gospel and suffering. So let's read the last section. We'll pick up verse 27. Paul writes this as he closes out this section. Whatever happens... Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Whatever happens. Whatever happens, you stand firm. And I know you're struggling, just like I struggled. But whatever happens, you stand firm and you live worthy of the gospel. You make sure your lives are formed in the way of the cross, that the cross and nothing else leaves an imprint on everyday life for you. That's what he tells them. So let's summarize it. If we had to summarize it, let's say it this way. He's telling them in these verses, don't give up, stand firm like I'm standing firm, and keep living cross-formed lives. That's what he tells them. Don't you give up. Now, in chapter 2, he's going to take that and he's going to begin to expand it. We're really going to start eating some meat in this next section of the letter. We, we'll go there next week. But right here, he's setting them up to stand firm and to live cross formed lives. So he took his life, rooted in the life of Jesus, and then makes application to their circumstances and their future uncertainties. And it's right there as he makes that application for them. In verses 27 through 30, that I want us to pick up some application for our lives. We're just going to roll right into that for the 21st century. We're going to jump a couple thousand years. Here's what I would say I think a pretty pretty solid application is for us. Don't give up. Stand firm. Keep living cross-form lives, even in your current realities and with your future uncertainties. There's a reason that in the Bible there's a lot of talk of perseverance and endurance. Because life can get really hard. Like, this isn't Disneyland. Disneyland is not even Disneyland right now. Life gets hard, and so constantly in the Scriptures, it is a message of endurance and patience, but you can only do that when covered with the reality that God is for your good and all will be well. That all comes under and through the stamp of the cross. And so what what I want to do is take everything we just did with that chart And I just want to take it and just transplant it into 2020. Here we go. Let's just start with this first one. I think that there's still application for our current realities. So no matter your circumstances, you can have Jesus at the center. Now, I don't know what your current circumstances are, but there's a lot of stinky circumstances right now. And we could just go through a list, both on a national scale, a global scale. We can walk it all the way down to our community. I bet I can get it all the way into your house. Where there are some circumstances you would rather not be dealing with. And yet we really need to be asking, what does it look like to have Jesus at the center of those circumstances? That's what needs to be at the forefront. What does it look like to have Jesus? Because when Paul faced a particular circumstance, he was thankful. And he had things to say thank you to God for. And so I just want you to imagine, what in your life, where do you find yourselves in your current circumstance right now? Some people are dealing with no money. Some people are dealing with terminal illness. Some people are dealing with bad work environment. Some people are dealing with unemployment. There's a host of things that people deal with right now. And yet we need to see where does Jesus fit in those things. Jesus is not just in a church building on a Sunday morning. He's right in your current circumstances. And so we need to understand what does it look like to have the cross stamped on your really stinky situation. Or if things are really good for you right now, because that can be true too. How do you make sure to thank God for all the good things? and not take them for granted because you're just so good. Good things must happen to you. I'm just going to disabuse you of that idea. You're not that good to have all good things happen to you. You say thank you to God. He is the giver of all these good things, and so this is what we do. So wherever you find yourself, Jesus at the center. Now, it's interesting, we don't have this scripture up, and I'm going to let you go look for it if you want it. In chapter 4, Paul's going to say something like, I have learned what, it's, what it means to be content, in plenty or in want. <laughs> Do you see how that theme, we're just beginning, that thread, it's going to roll through and we're going to show up in chapter 4 and all this is coming back? Just want you to see, there's a theme. There's a theme. All right, this, take this one too. This one's, uh, this one's a little easier, right? So his current realities had enemies. I'm not going to call people our enemies, but let's just call them difficult people, right? You got any difficult people in your life? Okay, I didn't know if you were looking over at Terry, Sheila. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know. I didn't know. I saw the eyes moving. You should have seen 945. I and mean, when we had elbowing. We, I mean, it, it got bad. I thought we were going to have to have an intervention at 945 because so, people, I could tell who the difficult people were. Um, Tess even left, left to go help out in primary. She didn't get to hear the sermon because I have a feeling I know who would have been on the difficult people list uh, for her. Um, it wouldn't have been me. I mean, I'm talking about someone else. Um, so, so just imagine you have difficult people in your life, don't you? I mean, people that are really difficult, and some people can be mean. And we want to write those people off. I'm telling you, I don't like difficult people. But the way of Jesus says, we must move with them with patience and grace, just like he moved with us with patience and grace. Now, that doesn't mean you befriend every one of them and you're like best friends. But it does mean that you don't gossip about them. You don't slander them. You at least show love. Because do you remember who sees rain when it rains? Do you, know, do, you remember, do you remember what Jesus says about who gets to experience the rain when it falls from the sky? Yeah, the good and the bad. That's instructive. And so we want to be, be careful with how we handle difficult people. Jesus at the center. Okay, and then this last one. Future uncertainties. I know someone in our congregation right now, uh, their job is ending at the end of this month. And this is a really difficult situation for this person. Doesn't know exactly what's gonna, what the future looks like. This is where the cross has to sit at the center of their life. Because no matter what happens, God will still be good and His hands are safe. But this takes training to have that deeply rooted inside of you. So I don't know what it is. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what future... Like, what uncertainties exist in your future, but I know this, that the cross can be right at the center. And because of that, good things are headed your way. Now, that may not be in the next year or two, in the way we want it, but with Christ with us, all is well. It has to be that way. And so we just understand and we consider what's our future uncertainties, and we put Jesus at the center. And we begin to train that way. You see how all of this may start with gratitude? Gratitude. Sometimes that's, that's where all this begins, where all that training, where all that training happens, uh, you know, where, where it starts and how it grows. Even with Paul, he looks at, at his prison cell, looks out at his enemies, and he looks at this uncertain future, and in all of it, he has gratitude sprinkled in all of those verses. So I'm just going to say, get to, a, to get to a place where we become the kind of people that can live with Jesus stamped at the center in our current realities and our future uncertainties, that why don't we just start, we just begin with gratitude. So let's take this next step to help us. Fill in the blanks here. Although I'm going through blank, I am thankful, I thank God for blank. I don't know what that is. Although I'm in virtual learning, I thank God that I get to be home with my family more. Maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, there has got to be something in any circumstance we can thank god for so we just train this way so you just this is like this is this is for you i can't fill in the blanks for you but this is a way of training to become the kind of people that have the cross sitting at the center of our lives it it starts with gratitude so that we can live cross-formed lives knowing that no matter what we face all is well in god's safe and caring arms All right? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit written so many years ago. And thank you that you have preserved it over these many thousands of years through these many, many, uh, many, many languages. And now we pray that although we're going through whatever our current realities or future uncertainties, that we can be thankful to you even in those situations. We give up our life to you so that we may gain it. And no matter, no matter good or bad, life or death, we live with Christ. And that is good news. And so in his name, to the King who reigns, even today, we pray and together we say,